Let's pray, and we will look at God's Word together. God, we thank you for this morning and this opportunity, God, to come to this place. And God, just to reflect on you, to reflect on what you've done for us, and to reflect on how our hearts should respond to you. God, be with us today and speak through your Word. It's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're headed to Colossians chapter 1 this morning. Colossians chapter 1. And as you're finding the book of Colossians, we're going to do a group exercise together this morning. So everybody take a deep breath. You ready? One, two, three. <gasps> Doesn't it feel good? We have survived. We've survived another holiday. All the relatives have been fed. All the relatives have hopefully been sent home. We went um, to Black Friday to do some shopping. May have been successful, may not. We went through an iron bowl, a good moment for some, a really bad moment for others. We've survived. We've made it. Welcome to Sunday. Glad you are here. When we think about holidays, I love the holidays, especially holidays like the one we just had that revolve around lots of food. But when we think about holidays and the times together, holidays are great. It's a great time to spend with family. It's a great time to spend with friends. And it's a great time to reflect on the things that truly do matter in life. Yet sometimes in our world, in the middle of all of our activity and busyness and craziness, we move past a holiday and we miss the greater lesson and the greater message behind it. Thanksgiving is especially easy holiday to do such things. Growing up, we did something kind of interesting. We decided that Thanksgiving was not didn't have to be on Thursday. So we would move Thanksgiving around based on uh, when family could be in town and all that. If you're looking for a helpful tip for next year to make your Thanksgiving more joyful, you might want to write on the top of your bulletin, move Thanksgiving off of Thursday. So what this would happen on the regular Thursday growing up, it would be me, mom, and dad, and my brother Daniel, and we would go um, to the great place of Cracker Barrel for Thanksgiving morning. I don't know if you've ever been to Cracker Barrel on Thanksgiving, but as you make the trek to Cracker Barrel, one thing you need to know is you don't ever need to go because there's not room for you and all your 10 family members in the midst of the line and everything that is already there. Cracker Barrel is an interesting place. You know, uh, turkey and dressing are one of their staples that you can get each and every day. But for some reason, last Thursday, they were worth more than gold. And so when you go to Cracker Barrel, um, I'm one of those people that tends to lack uh, the spiritual gift of patience. So you go to Cracker Barrel and there's a massive line. And so growing up, what mom would do to calm me down over the stress of waiting for the turkey and dressing, which might not be there when you get there, other Cracker Barrel tip, um, she would bring the paper with all the ads in it. I don't know if you've ever picked up such a paper. It could be considered a Thanksgiving Day workout. But when you open the paper, there's page upon page of goodness. These ads boast of great things. If you will go and dare the war zone, also known as the River Chase Galleria, which this year actually turned into a war zone, you can be blessed with great things like cheap electronics and doorbuster savings and things that you definitely need and your life cannot be complete without. So as I sat there and flipped through this paper, waiting on the turkey that I prayed was still there, my mind was shifting from thankfulness, from thankfulness and thanksgiving to me. Oh, my life was complete, but you look at that 4K TV. That would look awesome. Or look at this or that or whatever. We move on forward past Thanksgiving super quick. 
We live in a culture with a 24-7 news cycle, which means things appear, and what was on the news seven days ago, we don't remember because life moves on. When it comes to holidays, we do the same thing. And the shift that happens this week is almost crazy. We shift from standing around the table holding hands with our relatives and thanking God for what we have to racing in front of people at Best Buy for the greatest 4K TV even on that day. So in the Birdsong household, um, Liz is the one that has less life experience than I do when it comes to exciting things like Black Friday. So Liz had never been uh, Black Friday shopping. So this year... Uh, When we got to um, Thanksgiving Day, the relatives had been fed, the dishes had been done, everyone was off, the house was back again at peace. So what did we decide to do? We decided to go journey to the lovely Chelsea Walmart for some Thanksgiving Day fun. And I don't know about you or if you've ever been to Walmart on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, Liz had never experienced such things. We walk in and there's people literally everywhere. And then all of a sudden, in one moment... People, like, start grabbing things. And if you've ever been Black Friday shopping, it doesn't matter what the sale amount is or what the item is. All of a sudden, I have to have it. Well, at Walmart and Chelsea, one of the most popular items this year uh, was a Pioneer Woman cooking set. I've never had Pioneer Woman's food. Not real sure who Pioneer Woman was. But they were fighting over Pioneer Woman like it was the the actual pots and pans that made the blessed first Thanksgiving. This is how Black Friday goes. This is how the craziness goes, and you shift that way really quick. So in a culture where we move on, in a culture where the news cycle shifts, where our minds shift and we sit at the dinner table and think about what we're grateful for, but also think about what is missing from our lives, how do we embrace a life of thankfulness? How do we live as thankful people Realizing that we're blessed, blessed by God, we're blessed through God's word, we're blessed through the gospel, and we're blessed in the community and the family and the church that we can gather here with today. We are blessed people. So this morning, we're headed to Colossians chapter 1. And as we look at this letter, this is Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, and as Paul typically begins his letters, he begins with a prayer and a beginning exhortation for the people. And this is Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae and his initial exhortation to them. When we think about this text, we can think this text was super relevant to those in Colossae who heard this story for the first time. This text is also relevant to us today because God's word still speaks, and the truths of this text are hopefully truths that will encourage our hearts and point us to Jesus today. If you would uh, join me standing uh, for the reading of God's word. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to the glory, his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share an inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can grab a seat. 
This morning, we're going to look at this passage in a different way. As Paul begins this, he talks about how a life of following Jesus would look like being lived and then transitions into the reasons that someone should be thankful. And this morning, we're going to swap those, flop those back and forth, and we're going to look at um, the reasons to be thankful and then what it means to live a thankful life. So if you're taking notes, the first thing in your notes is the foundation for gospel thankfulness, the foundation for gospel thankfulness. When we think about foundations, we sang a song earlier about foundations. Foundations are important. Foundations are the basis for what you believe and what you know, and if something's not built on a foundation, it doesn't have a solid base. It doesn't have something that you can point to. And as we begin Paul's discussion of thankfulness, we realize that there's a foundation of truth that allows us to be a thankful people. It's from this foundation of truth that we can be people who are thankful. Verse 12 through the end of the chapter shows this foundation, or through the end of the section shows this foundation. Giving thanks to God the Father, who has qualified you to share an inheritance of saints in the light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Next, if you're taking notes, Jesus has qualified you for an inheritance. Jesus has qualified you foreign inheritance we live in a world where everyone is looking to qualify am i good enough am i smart enough we see this in work where we work super hard hoping that our boss would notice us and we would get recognition or we think about like clothing and dress we want to look a certain way so people would say or think or assume something about us if you're a student you would work really hard on your grades and do certain things so people would perceive you in a certain way we live in a world where we are trying to fit in We're trying to be enough, good enough, smart enough, enough. But the sad thing is we never really get to that point. doesn't matter how much money we spend. It doesn't matter how much energy we put into it. doesn't matter how much we want to think and obsess about being enough. We never really get to the point where we feel like we are enough. In a world where everyone seeks qualification, the beauty of the gospel is that our qualification doesn't come from any of that. Our qualification comes from Christ. It says in verse, verse 12, giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you. It's something that is not a result of our own works, our own energy, our own ability, or our own strength. Jesus is the one who qualifies us. He's the one who qualified us at the cross. So we don't have to worry if we're enough because Jesus was enough for us. We've been qualified. We've not just been qualified, we've been given an inheritance. When you think about an inheritance... The greatness of an inheritance is based on the greatness of the one giving that inheritance. If your inheritance is from someone who has a lot of resources and money and influence, your inheritance is going to be great. But if your inheritance is from someone who has less of those things, it would be less of an inheritance. We have the God of the universe. This morning we read from Psalms and it talks about how God was the one who set up the seas and the earth and the world. The God of the universe is our Father. The God of the universe is the one who's giving us an inheritance. And he's the one who has unlimited resources and unlimited influence and unlimited power and unlimited potential. We've been given an inheritance. We've been given an inheritance because we've been adopted. We've been brought in as children of God. We're adopted as his children and we have the inheritance of all that he has for us. This is a reason to be thankful. The race for enough is over. If you want to know enough, look at the cross. 
and you have an inheritance awaiting you. But the story doesn't stop there. Verse 13 reads this way. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Next on your sheet. Jesus has delivered you from darkness and given you a portion of his kingdom. Jesus has delivered you from darkness and given you a portion of his kingdom. A spiritual transfer of location has occurred. We have gone from the world of darkness, from the domain of darkness where we were controlled by our sin, where we were controlled by the darkness around us, where we were defined by what the world said that we were supposed to be, and now we've been transferred to God's kingdom. We now live in a new location and have a new king. We've gone from darkness to light. I don't know about you, when it's early in the morning and someone turns on the lights on you and you're not expecting that, that's a big transition from darkness to light. This is a transition from darkness to light. We have a new king and we get to be a part of a new kingdom. We don't have to continue to go along with the ways of this world. We have a new king and a new kingdom. And the beauty of that is we get to be a part of God's ongoing work. One of the reasons that when you became a follower of Christ, you weren't all of a sudden zapped into heaven is because God has you here for a purpose. God has you here for a reason. You're a part of his kingdom. I was watching a news clip a few nights ago, and it was talking about uh, light pollution in the world. And from space, there are are large cities that can be seen from space in the dark that shine and light up even from space. And this light is not from like one or two people's light bulbs. This is from like a whole city that is lit, lit up. When we think about us being lights in the midst of darkness, we are called to live in a, live in a world that is still dark in a And we get to be those lights. Like looking from space and seeing that light that's not supposed to necessarily be there that you don't expect to see there in the darkness, that's what we get to do. We get to go into being Christ's light to the world. We get to be these little glimmers of hope, glimmers of redemption in the midst of the world, and we get to shine. And as we bring that light, there are people that are going to try to pull us down. There are people that are going to try to point at us and be like, that's dumb, why would you act like that? You know, religion is something that's private, that you keep in church, that you don't bring to the office. You know, your faith, that's a Sunday-Wednesday thing. Gets out of that, man, you're getting radical. God calls us to be light. Even though the world is going to push back on that, he's delivered us and given us a portion of his kingdom. God has changed our status. God has made us a part of his kingdom. We can be thankful for that. Next on the screen, Jesus has redeemed and forgiven you. Jesus has redeemed and forgiven you. Verse 14, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When you think of the word redeemed, The word redeemed is a word that is used typically with slavery. When you think of slavery, um, our mindset of slavery is typically people are in slavery because they are the minority group. They were a certain race, they're a certain ethnicity, they came from a certain culture, they believed a certain political belief, so therefore they are enslaved to the dominant power. When we think of slavery in the New Testament, slavery in the New Testament is typically around the idea of being in debt. You've done something, you've amount mounted so much debt in your world that you cannot pay it off so therefore you go and be a slave of another person and so redemption is this legal term for slavery and the idea of being freed from slavery once the debt has been paid the slave could be set free i think a lot of us when we think about debts and freedom from slavery we think about like debts that we would even have 
like our mortgage and other th- debts you might have in your life. Just think about if your mortgage was gone and you didn't have your largest bill or whatever that thing is in your world, what you could do. To have that paid off and to continue living how you're living would be dumb. And it would be one of those things where it's like you have this great opportunity out here, but you're not taking it. When we think about um, being free from slavery, we realize that God has rescued us. But one thing that's interesting is um, the word slave is used by Paul in another book. If you'll turn over one page or two, depending on how large your print is. Um, Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, Paul and Timothy set up this picture of introducing themselves to the church at Philippi. And as they introduce themselves to the church at Philippi, they use an interesting word. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. The word servants here is not translated like it should be. Uh, The word servants here is the word doulos in the Greek, which means slave. Paul and Timothy are saying that they are a slave of Christ. That they have decided that my ownership is shifting. I had been under the ways of this world. I had been captive to my desires. And I would followed that and the world had been my master. But I'm choosing that I'm going to let Jesus be my master. And I'm going to live for him. And I'm going to let my life be defined by him. And wherever he says to go and whatever he says to do, I'm his slave. I think a lot of times in Western Christianity, that is not the term that we would use to define ourselves. We would go, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Christian, I'm whatever, but I'm a slave to Jesus. It's something that's typically not on our radar. God forgave Paul, and Paul gave his life to him to serve him as a slave. When we think about our relationship with Christ and approaching that, are we people that are willing to give everything? Are we people that realize that our life is not our own, that we march to the beat of a master who is the king of the universe, who rescued us, who saved us, and who wants to have a relationship with us? Jesus has redeemed and forgiven us. He's redeemed us. The second picture of that is he has forgiven us. When you think about forgiveness, forgiveness is a relational word. The word redemption, when you think about from a legal sense, you think about people could go to court and someone's debt be forgiven. And that person who had to give up the debt and say you're forgiven and your debt is no longer due may not have a relationship with the person they have let off, that they have redeemed, that they have pushed to the side and let go free without the debt. But Jesus says that it's not just about a transaction, it's about that you've been forgiven. There's this relational aspect here. I think a lot of times in Western Christianity, we view our relationship with God as a transaction. We came to church, we walked an aisle, we prayed a prayer, we checked a card, we got baptized. We've completed the transaction with God, and therefore that my transaction is done, I am good. Yet we miss that The reason all that happened is so we could have a relationship. So we could have a relationship with God, that the king of the universe can be our friend, that he can be our God, that he can be our savior, that he can be our rescuer, that we can have this relationship with him. Yet I think so often we look at our Christianity as like going to the bank. I went to the bank. I deposited some money in my account. I feel a little bit better about my life because there's more money in my account than it was before, but I'm going to move on. Are we viewing our relationship with Christ as a living, growing, moving relationship that we have been forgiven? Or is it simply a transaction that we did? And therefore, since the transaction is covered, we're in good shape. 
Forgiveness is the relationship end of this transaction. It cleans the relational slate between us and God. God no longer holds our sins against us. All of the relational hurt and baggage that your sin brought into this relationship was forgiven at the cross. So when we think about reasons to be thankful, we have three here. We see that Jesus has qualified us for an inheritance. He has delivered us from darkness and given us a portion of his kingdom. And he has redeemed and forgiven us. God has done great things for us. This is the beauty of the gospel. This is something that we can never wrap our head and our hearts completely around. This is something we should stand in awe of each and every day that those who were never enough get to be enough because of Jesus. That those who were pushed to the side and who were outsiders who didn't do anything to deserve grace have been given great grace. These are amazing gifts that we could never deserve, but because of God's grace we get. These truths should change us. Not just in our head, not just in our heart, but in our life. Which leads to the application of gospel thankfulness. Application of gospel thankfulness. As we shift to the beginning of the passage, we see Paul defining what it means and what it looks like to live a life of thankfulness. Verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and spiritual understanding. So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks. If you're taking notes, how we live a gospel thankfulness life is first. We live a life guided by God's wisdom and understanding. Live a life guided by God's wisdom and understanding. The church at Colossae found themselves dealing with a group of false teachers known as the Gnostics. The Gnostics believed that they had special wisdom and special insight into God that no one else had except them. Paul reminds his readers that true knowledge doesn't come from a culture, doesn't come from a people, or from politicians. True knowledge comes from God through his word. Though many may claim to have truth, truth comes from God's word. Though claims of understanding may seem interesting or fascinating, faithfully, we must faithfully run ideas through God's word. So we look at living a life guided by God's wisdom. We see the world through God's word. It is the lens through which we determine what goes on. Second is understanding. When we think about God's will, Christians tend to do a lot of weird things. Think about this scenario. Um, I am single. This did not happen to me. This is a scenario. So I am single, and I am on a walk um, on a path through the neighborhood, and I am praying, God, give me a spouse. God, give me wisdom on a spouse. God, I want a spouse really bad. And I come along, and I look, and there's a red Coke can. Thank you, Lord, a sign. And I look at the red Coke can, and I go, red. I guess red is a sign. I was praying, God gave me red. Maybe the next woman that walks up in red is going to be my wife. So a woman comes up in red and you say, hey, I got this sign from God, the Coke can and you and whatever. And it's the quickest way to get spiritually let down in the world. And so when we think about um, God's will, we think about God's will as this weird thing that we try to walk into. That it's like some mystery that God's in heaven holding his will going, I have my will. I know you're looking for it. I'm going to hide it over here. I'm going to do this over here just so you don't figure out what's going on. We don't 
have a good view of God's will. Because God has a plan and God is sovereign and God has a plan for our lives. But we plan on this plan being something we know every step of. Um, in my life, I've uh, been working through some stuff with school and it's not gone the way I wanted. And long story short, I was at lunch with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago and he made a really good point to me and he said as people and as OCD people which I fall in that category as OCD people we map out all of our life and we go you know hey next Thursday this time I'm going to do this and in five years I'm going to be here and in 10 years I'm going to be here and whatever and we map out our life and then we say God this is the timetable like we somehow get to determine that God, I've picked out the timetable. Now sprinkle your blessings on it and make it happen. And then we get frustrated when it doesn't happen the way we've planned. When God is calling us to walk with him every day and discovering God's will is realizing that you're in the moment you are for a reason. And God's put you there for a reason. And that God wants to use you in that moment. And we see in Psalms it talks about God's word being a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And that's not seeing 30 years from now. That's seeing right here, right now. God, you have me in this moment. What do you want me to do? Who do you want me to impact? What moments do you have divinely appointed for me to step into? So walking in God's will is walking with him right here and now and realizing the same God that's sovereign over today and this moment is sovereign over that moment 30 years from now that we want to put on a calendar and say, this is where I'm going to be and this is what's going to happen. We just have to learn to trust him. And we have to learn to walk in that because that's hard sometimes. It's hard a lot of times as we walk with God. So as we think about God's wisdom and knowledge, this comes from God. God is the divine source of this wisdom and knowledge, which leads us to point number two, living a life walking with Jesus. Living a life walking with Jesus. Do we live our day-to-day lives where people can look at us and tell there's something different about us? Because we're walking with Jesus. We got that lamp and we're in this moment and we're realizing, God, you're going to guide me in this next step. And honestly, God, I don't know where I'm going to be six months from now. I don't know what's going to happen six months from now, but I'm not concerned about that because I know that you're a God who has me in this moment and you're a God who has great plans for me and you're the God who's guiding me along the way. We live a life walking with Jesus. So what does this look like? Verse 10 says this, So as we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Bearing fruit to good works. That's what this looks like. Bearing fruit to good works. When we think about a tree, trees are meant to bear fruit. If a tree doesn't bear fruit, that's supposed to bear fruit. It's just a tree that's sitting there and it needs to be cut down and removed. When you think about our lives as Christians, we're called to bear fruit. And bearing fruit is not something that we can do on our own. It's something that God does in us. I don't know if students in this room or kids in this room may think of uh, moments of going, even this Thanksgiving, over to a relative's house they haven't seen in a long time. And that relative grabs you by the cheek and goes, Oh, you look so cute, and remember when you were this tall, and you weighed this, and now you weigh this, and all this? And if you're the kid, you don't realize that you've grown. Growing up, we had a wall where we marked different heights. And the reason you mark the height is you don't know that you've grown. You don't realize that everyone around you does. So when it thinks about growing, bearing fruit and growing in Christ, do we have people around us to show us where we've grown? Do we have people around us to encourage us that even though you don't feel like you're moving forward, you are moving forward? Are we bearing fruit? And is the world different because of the work of Jesus within us? Are we bearing fruit? Next, we are also called to be growing in the knowledge of God. 
growing in the knowledge of God. The more I read God's word, the more I realize how much I don't know. And the more I realize how great God is beyond our understanding and beyond our finite human mind's ability to grasp. Are we growing in the knowledge of God? As we walk with God, we want to know him more. We want to spend more time in his word. We want to connect with him on a deeper level. We want to walk with him. Next, walking with Jesus is this, living a life of strength, endurance, and joyful thankfulness according to his power. Living a life of strength, endurance, and joyful thankfulness according to his power. Verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks. Notice uh, that Paul says that this life of walking with Jesus will require strength. It will require strength that we don't have. I think a lot of times when we think about the Christian life and following Jesus, we find ourselves a lot like Peter. And in the story that you're probably familiar with, uh, Jesus sends the disciples off to the sea. And he's going to come join them later. And they go out to the sea on the boat. And as they go out on the boat, a storm comes. I don't know about you. I've not been in many storms on boats. But this is a storm where the people are concerned about what's going on. It's a scary storm. And they look out in the distance and they see this figure. I don't know about you, but figures are not supposed to come walking across the water. In this moment where they wonder whether it's a Halloween movie or what's really going on and happening in this moment, they see this figure coming and they have a conversation with the figure. Come to find out the figure's Jesus. And Peter says something that is very brave and very bold of him, but also shows his willingness to step out and do crazy things for God. He says, hey, let me come to you on the water if it's really you. And so Jesus says, Come. So he goes and he steps out of the boat. And you can imagine him stepping out of the boat. Um, Water's never been solid before in Peter's life. And so he goes and he steps out. And you can imagine him stepping his first toe on there to kind of see if it's going to go. And he steps on there and gets out on the water. Well, you know, in Hebrew science class, they taught us that this doesn't really work. And you're not supposed to stand on water. So Peter has his eyes hooked on Jesus. He's watching Jesus and he's walking on the water to Jesus. But as he walks, he gets spiritual ADD, like so many of us tend to do. He's got his eyes fixed on Jesus, but he looks to the left and he looks to the right and he sees all these storms. This storm, uh, examples of storms in our lives could be stuff that's going on in our marriage. It could be stuff that's going on in our family. It could be challenges that we're facing. It could be lots of different things that are these storms. And Peter looks at Jesus and Peter looks at the storm and Peter takes his eyes off of where they're supposed to be and he looks over here at the storm. And in that, as soon as he looks over there to the storm, he begins to sink. And we so often do that in our lives. We take our eyes off of Christ and we look at our storm. And guess what? Jesus looks really small and really distant when we're staring at the storm. Because our eyes are fixed here and we do not realize that Jesus is the one that wants to rescue us and keep us on the path. But we stare at the storm and we think, man, this is a storm. I'm going to die. And a lot of times what we do in our lives when it comes to storms is we go try to fix things. God, I've got this. I'm going to fix it. And then we realize how big of a mess we're in. Like Peter, when Peter looks at the storm and we look at Jesus and we go, Lord, save me. Jesus came and picked Peter up. But what we miss is the Lord save me is not just supposed to be something we ask in this moment when we screwed up our life. 
This is something we should ask at every moment. Lord, save me. Lord, keep me on the path. Lord, help me to follow you. Lord, let you be the one that gives me strength. Because God's rescuing power is not something we just needed when we got saved. God's power is the power we need each and every day of our lives. That we walk with Jesus today, we walk with Jesus tomorrow, and then one day in the future when we don't know, we're going to walk off this planet into eternity with Jesus. We're walking with him. Lord, save me. Lord, I need your direction. Lord, I need your power. Lord, I need your strength. Lord, I need you. We need his strength. And we can't do it without him. Yet so often we think we can and we find ourselves half drowned in the water. And Jesus is going, I'm here to rescue. I'm here to redeem. I've got a plan. I've got a purpose for your life. I've got great things for you. So we living a life of strength. Next, living a life of endurance. When you think about the word endurance, endurance is a painful word. You don't see many vacations marketed with endurance. Unless it's like survivor vacation. Take off your shoes and socks and run across the hot coals and we will give you dinner. I don't know how many people would sign up for that kind of a vacation. Uh, Liz and I have a friend who is real into marathons and she likes to run. And one of the places she likes to run is Disney World. Which is interesting because if I was going to the happiest place on earth, I think the last thing I would want to do is run. So she goes to Disney World to run these marathons. And that requires endurance and strength. For me, running is not one of my things. Uh, Running is something where I would have to be chased by a bear. And it would probably have to be a more threatening bear than Pooh Bear at Disney World to cause me to run. But when we think about walking with Jesus, it's an endurance. It's something that's going to be hard. Christianity's not all blessings and roses christianity can be tough at times and jesus calls us to endure jesus calls us to have strength that comes from him my friend who does marathons has to train you just don't show up at disney world and run a marathon it takes training it takes endurance we become stronger in the end god is our strength and last we're to live a life of thankful joyful thankfulness joyful thankfulness We can have a sense of joyful thankfulness because we know who Jesus is, what he's done for us, and that changes everything. What we've seen this morning is on the screen. Gospel thankfulness comes from a humble understanding of what Jesus has done for us at the cross, which overflows to a life of faithfully walking with him. Gospel thankfulness comes from a humble understanding of what Jesus has done for us at the cross, which overflows to a life of faithfully walking with him. Two questions today. First, have you ever experienced gospel transformation in your life? Have you ever come to a point where you realized that your enough was never going to be enough and that Jesus came to be your enough? Have you ever allowed God to transfer you from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the Son? Today is the day of salvation. Will you surrender to Jesus today? God's moving in your heart. Come speak with me. I'll be up front. James will be around. David will be around. Other staff will be around. We would love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Christ. Have you ever experienced gospel transformation yourself? Question number two. Are you living a life of gospel thankfulness? Does your life reflect the fact that you're trying to walk with Jesus? We know that walk is not going to be perfect every day. We know that walk is moments where we have our eyes fixed and moments where we're half drowning in the water. But are you living a life seeking to walk with Jesus? Do you rely on him to give you strength as you walk with him? And last, do you stand in awe in the greatness of God's grace? Are we amazed by grace? 
Are we thankful for what Jesus has done for us? And thankful not in a way like Thanksgiving, where we're thankful for our turkey and then we're on to, back to the races of the world that we live in. Are we thankful for Jesus and what he's done that it reframes who we are, reframes what we value, and it reframes the world? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a God who is faithful to us and that you're a God who has given us great reasons to be thankful. God, as we go this week, help us to be people who walk with you and people who follow you. God, we thank you for the journey. God, we thank you that you're the one who leads us. You're the one who guides us, and you're the one who gives us strength. God, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.